Next stop, motherhood. Join us on the journey there. On the way, we will be talking about infertility, loss, adoption, and everything in between. Now your host, Stephanie Simmons. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our third episode of Next Stop Motherhood. Today's topic is going to be a little controversial. The topic we're going to be discussing today is the foster care system. As my husband and I have been proceeding with our intentions to adopt, doing our online marketing, so to speak, trying to get our information out there, we've had a lot of people come up to us and ask us just the same question. Why not adopt from foster care? A lot of people will say there's tons of children waiting from foster care. There, It's free. There are tons of incentives. You get tax write-offs. There's so many incentives to adopting from foster care. I think what a lot of people don't see is how broken our foster care system unfortunately is. Now, in this episode, some people may agree, some people may disagree. This is going to be my opinion, along with, I'm looking at a couple articles as well that I'm going to be discussing with you guys that were published. That way it's not just me mumbling what my opinion is. Along with these articles, I think they're they'll kind of express what my opinion is. Um, but the first article we're going to talk about, it is a HuffPost article published on April 15th of 2015. So this was a couple years back, but it's just simply titled The 10 Most Surprising Things About Foster Care. And I think it's something that a lot of people don't see. I think a lot of people just know that there are children who are taken away from their homes and then they think that they're just available for anyone to just come in and adopt them. I don't think they really understand how foster care works. And so just to kind of give a a brief description of what I understand foster care of being after doing our research, um, the foster care system basically accepts children that were either in abusive homes, children that were taken away from their parents because of neglect, of drug abuse. Basically, somebody saw that that child's life was endangered and called CPS, which is Children Protective Services. And so CPS goes in there, evaluates what the situation is, whether the child is being abused, neglected, there's drug abuse, and then they decide whether that child should be taken away from those parents temporarily. Whole point of the foster care system. It is to reunify these children with their parents. And I think a lot of people aren't aware that that is the goal. A lot of people say, oh, just go into the foster care system and you'll be able to adopt a child just right off the bat. And that's not the way it works. Um, I don't think anybody should enter into foster care and be foster parents just so you can keep a child. I think you really have to go in with the mindset that this child you're providing a shelter for, a home for, you're providing love for, is most likely going to be temporary until the child's parents um, are able to get their lives in order and get back there with their children. The issue here is a lot of the times that isn't the case. When parents try and get their children back, they'll take courses. Sometimes the courses, from what I understand, are simple. Sometimes they're a little more difficult. But the foster care system doesn't really have a limit to how many times a parent can lose their child, take the classes, so to speak, and get reunified with their children again. And that's where it kind of gets a little tricky. That's also where a lot of foster parents kind of get their feelings hurt. Um, because they're they're taking in these children, they fall in love with these children, they provide for these children, and then they see the circumstances of their actual 
family is in, their, their mother or father, their biological parents. And it, it's nothing but, I'm sure, heartbreaking from some of the ones that I've talked to knowing that they're going to go back into this environment. But, you know, because they, they took the time and they tried, they get to have their child back knowing that they're probably going to come back into the system at some point. And so that's kind of what foster care entails. You know, they, they lose their children. The children are placed in homes, um, temporary homes, usually anywhere from six months to 18 months from what I know. And they live with them. They provide a stipend. That's another area that we can get into. Um, but basically, a lot of people are under the impression that foster parents make boogahs of money taking care of these children. When in actuality, I believe they only get about $20 a day. And that's supposed to cover food. It's supposed to cover diapers if those are necessary, formula, a lot of things like that, um, hygiene, clothes. And so that's another stigma that kind of foster care or foster parents have is that they're just doing it for the money. And so they're giving a stipend, they take care of these children, and then they do that while the parents try and get their, their lives together, their acts together so that they can be reunified with their children. And so that's basically just kind of a short summary. There's so much more into foster care, and we can get into that in a different episode. I just kind of want to go over these articles um, that I found. And again, the first one, like I said, is from HuffPost back in 2015, and it's called The 10 Most Surprising Things About Foster Care. Number one is foster care is all around us. Um, We don't really realize who a foster parent is or who a foster child is. And the reason for that is because when a a foster child enters the foster care system, parents aren't really allowed to go on social media and show the child's face or give much information because one, that child is not legally theirs. And two, for the security of that child, we don't want to go ahead and disclose where they are, who they're with in case that there is um, a possible endangerment to the child, whether it be their family, whether it be extended family, you know, we never really know. The number two Most surprising fact on this article is asking for a foster child's backstory is hurtful. And this is approached just from a person's standpoint who is a foster parent. They basically have people come up to them. People are going to notice when a family grows by a child or two and they haven't made an official announcement or they see that the children look differently, just like an adoption. You know, these children aren't going to look biologically like us because they're not our biological children. A lot of people with maybe good intentions try and speak to the child get involved with the child and therefore comes the hurtful questions of why were you placed in foster care you don't want to nobody would ever want to share the details of their life or the struggles with drug addiction mental illness whatever it may be with a complete stranger it's it's absolutely ignorant and unconsiderate to ask a child well tell me what your family was like before especially because they're already dealing with that trauma and they will be dealing with that trauma for the rest of their lives. It's something that we don't want to have them relive while they're trying to get accustomed to being in the foster care system in a foster home at the moment. I think that's, that sounds like common sense. I think people do it with good intentions. They want to know about the child and their upbringing, but it's something that I think medical professionals and maybe their caseworker would be the ones that would discuss those kind of things with them. I don't think just because you take in a child, you or anybody in your family or your neighbors have any right to know the history of where that child comes from or where their trauma stems from. Another one is that foster children must leave everyone and everything behind. A lot of people don't understand that they are literally grieving everything. They've left their homes. 
They left their family. They left their school. They left their friends. They left their pets. They literally had to leave everything behind. They weren't given a choice. At this point, they have been taken from their homes, taken into Child Protective Services, Department of Human Services, and basically based on their needs, have been given to a family that could take care of them momentarily. A great example is just remembering, you know, you kind of visiting someone or staying in a stranger's house. Let's say you were on vacation and you're staying at a friend's brother's house. There, It's strange. Everything is new to you. You don't know where the bathroom is. You don't know where your bedroom is. You don't know how that family functions. You don't know what time dinner is. It's, it's very... It's very hard on the child. You don't have any extra clothes. Imagine not packing anything. You can't to borrow undergarments, you know, or clothes. Um, you have to rely on these people who you don't know as strangers to basically provide you with your basic needs. But instinctually, you are not used to relying on these people because they're strangers. And we are not programmed to rely on strangers to help us every day. That's biologically what our parents are for. We rely on them, you know, even, even as an adult, um, (laughs) I still rely on my mom and dad for some things too. I'm a 30 year old adult and there's still things that I rely on them because I know that they're my, my parents, that they're always be there for me. And so these children, when they're put into these new homes, they don't have that sense of familiarity anymore. They don't have that sense of, of being cared for the same way, even though they are being cared for there. I mean, foster parents could be amazing people but they don't have that same comfort level. Number four is many of these kids have lived without water or electricity. Now this one, it speaks about certain places, depending on where you decide to foster from. Um, there are places that are more um, under the poverty line and they're poverty ridden. And so a lot of these children come from homes where they may not have electricity. Um, some children may be scared of the sound of, you know, your ice maker on your fridge. Something is simple is that, again, these children are on high alert. These children are fight or flight mode because they have been taken and they are in a, an environment that the social worker and people know it's for their, their best interest, but they're children they do not understand. And so anything from a toilet flushing, imagine that, just, just having a toilet flush and you never hearing a toilet flush because you don't have water or it's been a while or, like I said, the ice maker. Another thing that's really real is uh, food issues. They, they are a major issue. There, There's instances of where these children haven't had even the minimum necessities of food. Um, they, they lived way below poverty. And as much as government assistance is out there, sometimes it's just not enough. And so there is a huge issue of children in the foster care system who have this unhealthy relationship with food. There's a story here in the article about having foster parents accusing foster children of stealing food. They become frustrated and they end up locking their pantries. They don't understand what's going on. They assume this child is just stealing food as malicious or as a, as an act of rebellion. And sometimes it's really just because they've, they're wary about their food. You know, in their previous home, they might've not had access to as much food and they feel the need to survive. And so they just kind of want to want to get as much food as they can they're not stealing the food. They're basically stop stocking up on their own food in case the food runs out. That is what they're known to do. That is how they've, they've learned to survive in their previous homes. And as sad as it is, it's something that is, is, is very real. There's, there's kids who often spend years hoarding food because they know food will eventually run out. They know that someday they will once again have to go back to the days without food. 
if they're old enough to understand that reunification is there, they may be saying, okay, well, I need to stock up on food now before I go back to that situation. And, and children are, are extremely smart. I think we don't give them enough credit, and especially children who have unfortunately had to grow up faster with this trauma and these issues. And so we just, we, we never really know. And, and that's one of the surprising things is that a lot of people will bring in these children with these behaviors and just assume that they're negative um, acts of rebellion when in actuality it's just part of the trauma that comes along with their lives. Number six is one that personally bothers me and we have been personally dealing with currently right now. And it's there's little you can do about a bad social worker. So Zach and I have been going to adoptuskids.org and that is a website where it provides you a state list. So certain states have certain websites where they are legally free to adopt children from foster care. This means that their parents' rights were terminated either against their will or the parents decided to terminate their rights. And so these children are currently in the foster care system and are free to adopt, meaning anyone can go into the system and adopt this child as long as you have all the requirements, which would be a home study and background and -and so-and-so. Zach and I found this darling little girl, and I won't say her name, obviously, although I want to say that the name that they put on the website might not be the same name to keep her safe, but we found this adorable little girl. We read her profile. We read the little bit they give you about this child. If you ever log on to the website, you'll see that some states are a little bit better. Some states will include videos. They'll include medical history, and some states just kind of give you the bare minimum. That doesn't reflect on how the state works. It may be that the Department of Children Services, for some reason, is understaffed. Maybe they just don't have somebody that takes care of their website. There's a lot of possibilities. Where it does come in is that since we've been inquiring about this child, the state of Oregon is a caseworker to caseworker state. That's not an issue. Basically, what they do is that they won't talk to... Myself, for example, if we're prospective adoptive parents, their caseworker, this little girl's caseworker, will not talk directly to me. They want to know that we have a caseworker, and that way I think it keeps things, or it's meant to keep things a little more ethical. So we were fine with that. We contacted our local caseworker. We told her about this child. We got the information needed, and they've been talking back and forth. Here is where it gets tricky. Social workers sometimes have too much on their plate. We imagine how many children are in the foster care system, and I'll look up those statistics in a second, but we imagine how many children are in the foster care system. Each of these social workers is given a certain amount of children. We don't know whether they have too many children on their plate or whether that's not even the case. In our personal experience, this has been going on for three weeks to a month already, I want to say. We have not been able to get a solid answer back from this caseworker. I've talked to my own personal social worker. It's it's just been mind-boggling. She says there's no reason why we haven't been able to get a response. A simple Google to the state's requirements. So different states may require different things. And so I told Zach, you know, using my understanding and my my logic, maybe we're just not qualified to adopt this child from foster care. And so we looked up the laws. It's just simple. You can Google any state and say what is required to adopt or to adopt from foster care specifically. It's different. Basically, what we found out is the state of Oregon requires a home study and hours of 
of, they call them learning hours, which is basically you going to seminars and learning about adoption, everything that can come with it, trauma. And so we've done that. That was actually part of us in the state of Utah to get approved for our home study. So we actually have everything we need. I also went out of my way and contacted multiple attorneys in the state of Oregon just to make sure that I wasn't pushing something that I was not legally able to do. Come to find out, our home study is perfect for that. Anybody who has a state-appointed home study, ours is nationwide, has passed a background check and has those hours, is good to go. Here's where the frustration comes in. We have not heard back. The child social worker has told our social worker that he's not sure that our home study is acceptable. A simple Google result, again, gave us that answer. So where are we right there? Could we assume that the, the state-appointed caseworker is too busy? Could we assume the state-appointed caseworker may just not know? Maybe he's new or she's new. Could we assume that they, they just don't care? And this is where the frustration as an adoptive parent or as a foster parent sets in. These children are legally, this child specifically is legally free to adopt, meaning that she is basically in the care of the state of Oregon. I have sat hours and hours agonizing and just being frustrated over how something so simple is keeping this child from finding a home. It has taken weeks. It may take months and maybe we're just kind of jumping the gun, but we haven't gotten a response. This is a young child who is probably in a loving foster care home, but for some reason or another, that foster parent can't adopt them. Maybe they have their own children. Maybe they have already too many children around the same age. Maybe they feel she'll do better in another home. So for now, that child is safe. What happens is when that child can no longer be in that foster care home, rather than have the adoptive parents who have been inquiring about this child transition her and possibly adopt her, she has to go to another foster care home. Now, is this because of understaffing? Is this because of the negligence of a caseworker? I personally don't know, but it's irritating because this child, instead of going to another foster care home and just giving her a different home, that it just adds to the trauma, moving her from home to home, instead of just giving her a permanent home. It's extremely frustrating not knowing. And so that's kind of where Zach and I are. I mean, you could only do so much. We've tried to contact as many people as we can to get names, to be able to talk to someone. And even if this child doesn't come to our home, the fact that her social worker is lagging on just some simple information makes me think, is he doing this to everyone else? Are there parents in her own state that may be wanting to adopt her and he's just either busy or unattentive? It's extremely frustrating. And this is a child that's legally free to adopt again. We're not even talking about children that are being moved from home to home every six to 18 months. So that's, that's kind of where we are right now. And again, I can't personally judge what this social worker or caseworker, what his workload is. It, we have in the United States alone, we have 428,000 children in foster care, 428,000 on any given day. Assuming we divide that by 50, that's 8,560 children per state in foster care. And obviously some states are bigger than others. So we could potentially say maybe there just isn't enough social workers for these children. However, this is all regulated state by state. This isn't a federal regulation. 
any state, Oregon, Utah, they can des- they can decide to hire a certain amount of workers to represent each child. Again, these are these children's advocates. There should be more social workers and caseworkers available to be able to make sure that these children get the best homes, these children transition better, these children get all the needs they can, whether they're in there for a long time or whether they're just in there for a transition period. The next surprising fact is number seven, and it says some social workers are way past jaded and cynical. They're desperate and dispirited. Now I can see that happening. As a social worker, you see everything that happens with these children. You see them go back to homes where they shouldn't go to. And legally, your job is just to decide, okay, their parents pass these classes. They get to go back to their parents. Some social workers manage to keep optimism that brought them into the field of work. Most, though, have seen the underbelly of the system and they know there is only so much they can do. Because the focus is on putting out fires and stabilizing unstable situations, foster children who are seen as relatively stable can be put on the back burner. And that might be where we fall, where our case may be because the child that we're inquiring about is currently stable. They may have other children and other fires they need to put out and their last concern is her. Simple requests and questions, even important ones, will sometimes never get a response for weeks or months. Things have gotten worse over the years, not better. It says, one social worker said this morning, in 1999, I had 18 kids. In 2012, I had 51. I could only put out one fire at a time. I was always one who knew all my kids and families, but with 51 kids, I couldn't keep things straight. It was just too hard to even make a dent or be effective. And so that we can fall back on the fact that there is a shortage on social workers and caseworkers for these children. These state departments should be hiring more, should be offering employment incentives to these. And so when you have so many caseworkers that have already been in the system long enough, I can see why it's easy to become cynical and jaded. The issue here is when they let that cause them to change their attitudes or change their procedures in how these children are getting adopted or in how these children proceed in their life. I think it's easy, even in myself, after dealing with infertility and being an adoptive parent, it's so easy to become cynical. We've been scammed. You know, life sometimes kicks us when we're down. It's so easy as a person to become cynical and just jaded with all the unfair and unjust things that happen to us on a daily basis. But these people are here to be unbiased. These people are here to represent these children. We cannot have these caseworkers become jaded and cynical because at the end of the day, it isn't about them. It's about these children. Number eight surprising fact is foster care children often sleep in offices or cubicles. When social workers place children in their homes out of desperation, they sometimes even leave them in their office or in a cot, basically with their small belongings in a bag. It is so sad to think that a child who was just taken away from their home has to sleep in a cubicle in an office on a cot, but unfortunately it's the reality. The last point they make here is one that I think is very important and it says parental rights are often considered before the best interest of the child. And I want to read this as it's stated because I think this is such a very important part of the article. It says the courts have ruled that parenting is a constitutional right. I believe that parenting is a gift, not a right. Maybe that's because of my years of infertility. 
Maybe because it's my own personal bias, but I don't believe that parenting is a constitutional right. I believe personally that parenting is a gift. Parenting is a, a wonderful gift that you're given. The state can only intervene in parenting matters when the well-being of a child is endangered and once the state intervenes, the state must make its best attempt to help the family heal and reunify through services, supports, and visitations. In order to stop working toward reunification, the state must prove the parents cannot engage in minimally adequate parenting. Minimal adequate parenting. Can you believe that? I understand that there's too many children already in the system, but basically we are willing to give back children as long as you are a minimal adequate parent, meaning just the bare minimum. Just basically look at your child, give it a bottle. That's, I'm assuming basic necessities, giving it a roof is minimal. This is both good and bad. In many cases, the birth parents are repeating the cycle of abuse and neglect that they learned as children. Many of these parents can and do learn to be better parents. Sometimes poverty brings children into foster care and love drives those parents to improve their situation for their kids. Family reunification efforts were meant for these families. Then, here's where we, where we look into this. Then there are children who have suffered from severe chronic abuse and neglect. Federal law says that the egregious cases with aggravated circumstances, i.e., abandonment and chronic abuse and torture can be expedited to protect the children from being returned to unsafe homes can be expedited to protect children from being re- returned to unsafe homes from staying in foster care for too long however loopholes and exceptions can be the norm for these cases and children are routinely subjected to extensive reunification procedures that are unnecessary harmful and risky, they too get an automatic case plan of family reunification, including visitations between terrified, traumatized children and their abusers. Even when children express their fears and try to refuse visits, they are told visits cannot be stopped. These children basically have no say because they are under the age of 18, assuming they're under the age of 18. Their parents could be extremely violent, extremely neglectful. They could have caused sexual and physical abuse to these children. And because they are their birth parents, they are allowed to visit with these children still. These children have trauma in foster care. They probably have appointed counselors and they still have to sit there terrified, talking to their abuser. Not only while dealing with that fear, also with the fact that after this visit's done, they have to go return to a complete stranger's home because that's the only option they have. That was just this article from HuffPost. After reading it, I mean, I knew a lot of the things. Zach and I really did consider the foster care system. And the Utah foster care system here isn't one that I would necessarily complain about. I think it's just foster care system as a whole. There definitely needs to be a reform to protect these children from being subjected to continuous neglect and abuse. There needs to be an extensive amount of counseling offered to these children. They already do have counseling services, but you can only imagine if each office only has two counselors and they have something like 400 children, how many times a week are they really seeing these children who absolutely need this intervention? This article from the timesherald.com called CPS Cares More About Quotas Than Kids, they have a very interesting 
incentive program they talk about. It's called the Adoption Incentives Payment Program. It basically allows states to earn incentive funds for increasing the number of children adopted out of foster care. And so this article kind of gives a little bit of a different perspective as opposed to making sure that these children are reunified with their parents, whether their parents did get their act together or they didn't. This is saying that there actually is an incentive program for children that are adopted out of foster care. CPS workers must save more children each year by removing them from homes, putting them into non-relative foster care homes, and then adopting those children out. And so that whole incentive program, I, I try to look more information on it. There are articles that say there is an incentive program. Basically, all these state departments are government funded. And so it is interesting to see how this really would affect the foster care system. A simple Google search for the Adoption Incentives Payment Fund or program brought up a website. It's called the Children's Bureau, an Office of Administration for Children and Families, the ACF. And I basically wanted to find some more information about that. It says here, Adoption and Legal Guardian Incentives. The Adoption and Legal Guardianship Incentive Payment Program formerly called the Adoption Incentive Payment Program, recognizes improved performance in helping children and youth in foster care find permanent homes through adoption and legal guardianship. The program was originally established as part of the Adoption and Safe Families Act of 1997 and has been reauthorized and revised several times, most recently as part of the Preventing Sex Trafficking and Strengthening Families Act, signed into law in September 2014. A key change in this reauthorization is the renaming of the program to reflect that incentives will be paid to jurisdictions for improved performance in both adoptions and legal guardianship of children in foster care. It says here the adoption reporting systems CB collects case level data from every state on adoptions from foster care in order to analyze national trends. These analyses are then published both in print and on our website. The Children's Bureau compiled data submitted by title IVE, so agencies reporting their calculated adoption savings and their reported expenditure of those savings. These are savings that state and tribes experience with respect to their own funds due to the expansion of eligibility under that federal title. Federal law requires the Children's Bureau to collect and post this data annually. So basically, this is actually saying what this is, how to apply for these incentives. And I'm assuming that these are all for every foster care system around the states. They basically use it to collect data. And depending on if you found children to be adopted, basically, if you get these children adopted, you are under budget. You're not using your own budget on the well-being of these children and feeding them and things like that. Then you get some kind of incentive. As much as I personally want to adopt a child from foster care, I don't think there should be a monetary incentive added to it. I think that when you accept the job of a social worker or a caseworker with a government agency to find these children homes, there shouldn't be a government incentive to do it. This should be because this is the field of work that you chose to do. I believe that there could be also skewed numbers because of this. And, and this is kind of playing devil's advocate because as much as I think there are children who deserve to get adopted, there are those parents who do get their act together. 
and want to be reunified with their children. But what if you have a caseworker who knows that if you get this child adopted and you actually give this parent who actually came around, turned their lives around and got right, it gives them the shutout and make sure that their child gets adopted to meet those quotas that they have. This is just kind of a portion of, I think, what is currently wrong with the foster care system. I know plenty of foster parents who love foster care, who have been able to give home to these children, help their families get their lives in order and have returned these children to amazing homes. I know parents and families who have decided to foster these children and then actually they become legally available and they're able to adopt them. There are so many stories of good that comes from foster care. However, I believe the bad outweighs the good because there are so many more children just based on numbers. We know that the large amount of positive stories aren't enough to overshadow the negative. We can just look at numbers of how, how many children are currently in foster care and how the foster care system is growing from time to time with children who have no homes or who are taken from their homes. There needs to be something done about foster care reform. We I'm not the person to do it. I don't work in Washington. I would love to hear your ideas. Email us and let us know what you think is done. Email us if you're a foster parent. Email us if you were a family who was, who had your child in foster services for a while while you got your act together or while you were going through some struggles and, and got your child back and how that experience was for you. My personal opinion Having every state regulate each individual program makes for a huge issue. I think there needs to be an across-the-board reform, both for adoption and for foster care. We need to have legally bound rules that are on the same playing field for everyone, not just because you're from one state, not just because you're from another state. This leads to all those indiscrepancies in what's going on with these children. Some states fighting for that grant. You know, it's, it's just... It's such a sad thing to think about. And so I just want to end this with the fact that I am not anti-foster care. We are still looking to adopt that specific child I spoke about earlier from foster care. After we have our own children, we would love to be foster parents. We have our own personal reasons why we won't be foster parents right now at the moment, but it's something that we do feel strongly about in the future, maybe in the next few years. I have nothing against the foster care, the people who are involved in foster care. Not even the workers themselves because maybe they're just heavily regulated and they can't really do much. They can do stuff about their attitudes, but they can't do much about the regulations themselves. The issue here is how the country handles the foster care system. Again, I would love to hear your opinions. I would love to hear advice. I would love to hear your comments, criticisms, everything. I want this to be an open forum. Feel free to drop us an email. Let us know how you feel about the subject. Let us know how foster care has impacted you. I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Definitely look up those articles. Another article I wanted to let you guys know, and this one I'm not going to read because it is a four-part article series, um, but it talks about the trauma that these children go through in foster care. And it's uh, it's through Psychology Today. So if you go to psychologytoday.com and look up the foster care system and its victims, part one, there's four parts. That's just where it starts. It'll definitely let you know how these children are affected that are in foster care mentally. Psychology Today is one of my favorite websites. Um, They let out a lot of articles weekly and they're interesting to read. So definitely take a look at those. And I just want to thank you guys for tuning in and I hope you guys have a great week. And as always, 
We'll be here next week, same time, same place. Thank you.